This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 491. And the quote of the day is three simple words. Do your homework. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Episode 491 is hitting right now, and that means we're nine away from the 500th episode, and we are doing a huge giveaway for the 500th episode. I'm talking cymbals, I'm talking all sorts of other gear from LP and Big Fat Snare Drum and Evans Drumheads and Promark Drumsticks and some other surprises that you may want to know about. So there's the inf- I didn't release all the information about it yet, but if you want to be kept in the know, there's two ways that I'm going to alert everyone. One, I'll be talking about it on social media, so if you're not following Drummer's Resource on Instagram or on Facebook, you should do that. It's just at Drummer's Resource on both of those. Or join the mailing list, and an easy way is just go to drummersresource.com. You can sign up for the mailing list, and you'll also get a free copy of my ebook called Stick Control Variations for Joining. So uh, I'll be sending emails out about the 500th episode. So those are the two ways, and like I said, we're giving away a ton of great stuff, so you may want to make sure that... You're following along to uh, for your chance to win. There's a lot of stuff too. It's not just like three things. So do that and do that and let's get into this conversation. This is with Kahari Parker and I'm extremely, extremely excited to have Kahari on here for numerous reasons. One, I met him a long time ago and there was something that he did. I watched him play live that has stuck with me throughout my career and I talk about it in the beginning of the episode. So that is one of the reasons why I'm extremely happy to have him on here. Two, he's just a beast of a player and he's one of these types of guys who you probably... <laughs> don't like because he's he can do everything and he you know he played with Destiny's Child he is on tour with George Benson he can do everything in between he can play every style the dude is the man and he also has a ton of great insights a great you know a ton of of, of information advice for people coming up advice for people who are currently playing and just a, a great conversation and a, an, an amazing drummer in fact after this conversation, at the end of this episode, I'm going to play about a five-minute clip of Kahari playing. He switches. He starts with brushes, and then he goes into to you know playing groove, and then into chops and all this other stuff. So it's a very accurate representation of how diverse he is as a player. And I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with the man, Kahari Parker. Kahari Parker, how are you, my man? I'm doing just fine, Nick. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's so great to have you on here. I've uh, I mentioned off air. I've known about you for a very long time. You and I have a mutual friend, Felix Pollard. Felix, we love you, buddy. Oh uh, man, Felix is the cat. And I, I didn't I didn't pay him to say that either. He just said it right on his own. <laughs> <laughs> and I've I've wanted to have you on, uh, you know, for a while. So I'm glad we we finally connected. And I'd like to start with a with a quick story. So. I, I've mentioned this on the podcast numerous times where I was at the piano bar and there was, um, man, I want to say it was Miles Mosley who was playing bass. I don't know if you're, is that his name? Miles Mosley? Yeah. That name sounds familiar. I believe it was, I believe it was him. He's not, uh, relevant to the story, but I, but I believe that that's who it was who was playing. And there was a drummer and this dude was like, he was just playing way too many notes the whole time right mm-hmm. and the and the bass player gets a solo and the drummer's chopping and then the guitar player gets a solo and the drummer's chopping and then the other guitar player gets a solo and the drummer's chopping and then finally they're like all right let's give the drummer some and i was kind of like my man he already had a lot I don't know. <laughs> right he doesn't really need any more so then he he chops it up and i've told this story multiple times on the podcast and <clears throat> and then so he gets up and someone else comes and sits down and starts playing. And all of a sudden, there's not chopping, there's pocket, it's groove, it feels good. And now everybody in the room is dancing. And mm. I'm like, this is the job of a drummer, right? Like, this is exactly what you're supposed to do as a drummer. 
that right. drummer was that drummer was you. Oh wow, man! <laughs> and I was like, and as soon as you started playing, I was like, and at the time I didn't know who you were, and I was like, this cat gets it. I was like, this is this he's a pro. Like this is this is the guy. Then they announced your name, and I was like, oh wait a minute, this is Felix's buddy. And then and I mentioned earlier, like I introduced myself afterwards just to say, hey man, loved your playing. You know, I'm friends with Felix. Whatever. I'm in town for Nam. You're in town for Nam. Cool. And and you left, and that was it. But right. that. But that has stuck with me for so many years, understanding someone who has chops like you do and controls it and plays for the music versus someone who has chops and wants to, you know, just flaunt it. So that has that has uh, stuck with me all these years. And I just wanted to publicly let you know about that. So and let everyone else hearing uh, know that as well. Wow, man, that is great, man. Uh, it's funny because I think. Uh a bass player friend of mine was hanging out that night um, and he came up to me after I played. It's like, dude, you make me sick. And I'm like, why? What I do? And he's like, why do you have to play so perfect? It was like, <laughs> it's all about foundation. You know, that's yeah. the drummer's job to lay foundation mm-hmm. for everybody else to, to stand upon. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the main job. And man, you like the, the whole vibe of the room changed. You know, yeah, before it was just like everybody blowing and then it just it, everyone started dancing. People like the to- the whole entire vibe of the room changed. And I was like, that's that's what it is, man. That's what it's all about. That foundation for sure. There should definitely be body parts moving, um, you know, <laughs> I mean, a head, a hip or something, you know. Right. <laughs> Foot tapping. Yeah, that's how you know the groove is happening, you know. Right. For sure. Yeah. So talk to me about about that foundation. Where where did you first understand or where did you first learn that you know, building that foundation or laying that foundation was paramount? Well, um for one, um I grew up learning how to play in church. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the first places um I realized that the groove is very important um because in church, you know, you'll have some old lady come up to you like, baby, I'm, I'm trying to dance. And, and, <laughs> and I can't because you, you're a little wild. So you got to pull it together now, you know. So <laughs> that was one of the first places I learned about groove. And then secondly, it was a bass player um, who's now he's departed us by the name of Dave Brooks. He used to play with this band called Midnight Sun here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And Dave was not only a stickler about the groove, but he was a stickler about learning original parts that were recorded on records. It's like, there is a main reason these songs are hits, and it's because of these parts. They all fit together like a puzzle. They're, right. they're the glue. That's what makes the groove happen. Mm-hmm. So that was instilled in me very young, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So was it, <clears throat> when you were coming up in the church, was... Was there a lot of chopping happening then, too? You know, um, the many moons ago, I came up in church. It, it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really about chopping. It was more about uh, about grooves. And I was very fortunate to come up in the church that had a full band that had keyboards, guitars, bass, drums. Um, they even had horns at this church. Mm-hmm. So I had to get into like a full band concept very early. And it was more about groove than chops at that time. Right, right. I Where, where did that come from? Where did like getting out of, I don't want to say getting out of groove, getting into chops, but where did it, where did it start with people where there was a lot of chopping going on and everyone sort of just equates that to, they call it gospel chops and they can, they equate it to gospel music. I don't know if that's a, a fair representation or not, but, but did you see that coming up or like not coming up, but did you, did you see that start to come onto the scene and, and where, you know, where was it coming from? Well, I first became aware of it. Um, that was around the time when all the DCI videos started coming out and mm-hmm. the Hudson videos with like um, the Dennis Chambers, uh, Serious Moves and uh, Dave Weckles, you know, Back to Basics. And right. so that first started opening my, my eyes to this whole chops and, you know, just playing over the bar line and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of gospel guys 
got a hold of this this information very young and they took it from there and just you know they built upon it and they started you know that was their only outlet to get the stuff out was the church mm-hmm. you know right yeah because a lot of those guys were too young to get in jazz clubs or whatever so they started putting it in gospel music and of course with gospel music having everything in it already you know, gospel music has jazz, it has rock, it has R&B, it has, it has everything infused in it already. Mm-hmm. So the guy started writing to open up more, more um, foundation for these guys to go out and do what they had to do within the right. gospel music, you know? Yeah. It's amazing how much of a groundswell has happened from that. And interestingly, you, you mentioned the, the uh, Back to Basics, that 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 DVD or VHS for those of you who uh, know what a VHS tape is. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> uh, I almost said laser disc. Remember laser disc? <laughs> oh, I do remember laser disc. <laughs> and like halfway through the movie, you got to like flip it over to keep watching. Yes. <laughs> so for anyone listening who doesn't know what a laser disc is, it was basically a CD, but it was as big, about as big as a record. It was a twelve right. inch CD. Yeah, it was a twelve inch CD, and it was <laughs> and you played it like a DVD, and then you flip it over halfway through. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, the uh, the back to basics. There's so many people who bring that particular DVD or video or VHS or whatever up as being sort of the 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 opening door for them is like or like the gateway drug into into mm-hmm. that, you know. And and I don't know if it was just. Weckle was just doing some stuff that nobody's ever seen before because he was on like another planet. Exactly. Uh, and but it's it's interesting that it's that particular DVD or that particular VHS tape that so many people reference all the time. Yeah, and you know it's funny because at that time, um, the VH, VHS thing had really started jumping off because I can remember, you know, the Dave Weckle stuff, the Dennis Chamber stuff, and then they started putting out all the Buddy Rich Memorial um, mm-hmm. VHSs. And, you know, that's when I first saw Vinnie Caliuta for the first time and, yeah. and Steve Gadd for the first time, you know. So it was like, yeah, the Dave Weckle thing was kind of the gateway drug, you know. Yeah. And yeah. there wasn't there wasn't a ton of readily available information out there, you know. Like maybe you could go to the library and find something, but like there was obviously no YouTube. So where else would you have seen this if it was broadcast on television that you may have caught it or something like i don't even know what it was but like there were there weren't many opportunities to to see this stuff and certainly not readily available you know no no and i mean you know at that time um you know even the drum clinics were were far and few in between you know Mm -hmm. i can Mm -hmm. remember uh dave weckle coming to chicago and it was a whole year later before they brought dennis chambers to chicago it's just like you had to wait that long for, you know, to, to see any of that stuff even live, you know? Yeah, for sure. And now, you know, drum clinics are still are still pretty popular. But then specifically at the time where, you know, if Dennis Chambers or Dave Weckl comes to Chicago, every drummer in Chicago goes. Oh, yeah. Right? You don't miss that it, event, you yeah. know? Because <laughs> it's not like, oh, I'll just catch it on YouTube. It's like there is no YouTube. You're, everyone is there. Yeah, yeah. You got to be there. And, you know, that's that's one thing I did love about that time. You know, it was a huge support. It was a huge fan base. And it was, you know, back then we didn't even have like, you know, the Internet or computers to even tell us these people were coming. It was just word of mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, the phone would ring. It's like, hey, man, you know, Dennis Chambers coming to town tonight. Or yeah. Vinnie Caliud is playing this little club on the north side, you know. And right. it was like the word would just spread from word of mouth, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a special time, man. These kids don't know how well they have it. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, though. I mean, the the there's uh, there, to me, there's two sides of the coin. I love the idea that all this information is out there, and and you can theoretically learn anything that you, whether it be drumming or anything else, like you could legitimately like learn how to fly a plane by watching YouTube. You know what I mean? It, it, right, it right. totally blows my mind. But the other side of it, I think that because the information is so readily available, maybe we don't take it uh, or maybe we take it for granted and we can just sort of like skim the surface mm-hmm. and just, Oh yeah, I've seen that video. I, I watched that. Uh, I watched that buddy rich Memorial. Th- yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, oh, okay. I watched uh, three minutes of back to bait. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And it's yeah. like, and no one's going like super deep, 
on on concepts. Do you see that happening, or do you or not? I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, no, I do see it happening, and um, by you mentioning that, it makes me think of a conversation that I had not too long ago about the internet being helpful and hurting us at the same time, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's helpful because you have all this information right here at your fingertips, you know, um, you can just click on and you can spend hours just surfing, you know, different cats. And I was like, man, it's great. You could take a lesson with your favorite drummer every day of the week. You know, Mm -hmm. you can have seven different drum lessons in one week, you know, but on the other hand, I think it, it hurts us because it's it's kind of stunning the uh, the the individuality, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's really being creative. It's just like, oh, I can get this lick, get it verbatim, note for note. I can even see how he's doing it, and everybody's sounding the same. As mm-hmm. for back in the day when we used to get stuff off of records or cassettes, you can play something like what your favorite guy played, or it would. In- inspire you to create your own individual thing off of this this inspiring idea you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah because i mean how many records did you listen to where you were like i i, I think this is what he's playing mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. maybe maybe it's kind of it sounds like it you know and then it turns into your own thing that you that becomes in your arsenal you know yeah exactly exactly that's how then you find out years later it was completely wrong (laughs) oh yeah totally wrong but you played it with so much confidence because it was your thing you know yeah (laughs) yeah i always talk about sissy strut how like i didn't realize that that he played it open hand for years yeah yeah i saw a video and i was like the light bulb went on i was like oh that okay okay i get it now (laughs) but you created your own thing from what you heard you know Yeah. yeah 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 So now this is the Nick Ruffin version of Sissy Strat, you know. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about the idea of diversity in your playing and understanding multiple different styles. Like I remember I was I was watching a, a, um, a video of you at Guitar Center and it starts off and you're playing brushes, right? So you're swinging and then you're – then you go into a groove and then you get it gets choppy and then there's this and there's all of these different there's all of these different styles all of these different techniques all of these different feels and i think that one of the things that that we as drummers run into a lot especially now with how much information is out there we never know where to start how to develop these certain things and either skim the surface and don't get really you know don't get a lot of depth with it or um just go down one road and don't really expand all of the different styles. Cause I mean, you can like, I've seen you play with George Benson and you know, you played in destiny's child. Like those are Mm -hmm. two different, those are completely different gigs. I'm guessing. Right. Totally different. Yes. Yes. I got to ask you something about George Benson real quick. Okay. Uh, Is he not like the hippest dude you've ever met in your life? Oh dude, he's, He's a whole show off stage as well as on stage. Like he, he said, this guy. He said the coolest he, thing I've ever heard anyone say in my entire life when we were at Nam. He looked oh, at. Yeah. The, I guess he was with like his assistant or something, and he looked over and he said, "Come on, baby, we got to breeze. I got to catch that aeroplane." And I was like, "That's the." <laughs> I was like, "That's the hippest shit I've ever heard anyone say in my life." I was like, "I'll never be that cool." And that's George Benson, twenty four seven man. Yeah. Just like. I can remember being on a tour bus with him and uh, he wanted something to drink. So he's pointing at the fridge and I'm like, okay, yeah. And he's like, no, open it up. I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah, give me that elixir out of there. And it was just a <laughs> bottle of water, you know. It's just like, how can you not hand this dude the elixir? Like, <laughs> he's got to have it, you know? <laughs> he's yeah, the coolest I feel, dude I've ever met in my life, man. I'm sure, man. I'm sure. I'm like, I, I heard him say that, and I was like, I can't imagine, you know, like you spending that much time. Because I'm sure there was just stuff like that all all day, every day. Just like All day, every day, man. Like, we were hanging out in New Orleans one day, and... uh we were on Bourbon Street, and so it's like, oh, let's just go to this bar right here. So I'm like, okay, cool. So uh, I'm like, what you drinking? You know, and he orders it up, and I order what I'm drinking, and I reach in my pocket to pay for the drink. And I'm like, 
Um, I got it. And he's like, brother, what are you doing? I'm George Benson. I got two pockets full of money. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I guess I'll put my my little I, wallet away. You I, know? Guess you, I guess I'll put my one wallet away. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, he's, he's uh, I mean, he plays, I feel like he talks the same way that he plays. You know what I mean? Just super cool, super smooth, you know. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's funny because that's how he wants you to play in his band. You know, he'll make suggestions and then he'll say, but I don't want to tell you how to play. You know, I want mm-hmm. your interpretation of what I'm talking about. And he gives you that freedom, you know. Right, right. And it's very so- cool. So we were talking about sort of the the difference between playing with someone like a George Benson and Destiny's Child, right? Two totally mm-hmm. different gigs, different vibes. You know what? So how do you get in a? How do you put yourself in a position to be able to do those both of those gigs and do them well and do them correctly? Well, you you have to realize um, what the situation is, and what I mean by that, like with Destiny's Child. You know, we had uh, we had Pro Tools running, we had dancers, uh, we had video screens running, we had pyrotechnics mm-hmm. running. So all of this stuff going on, um, this, there's different cues and different things in the show that have to go right every night. So playing in that situation, you kind of have to to mimic yourself every night. There's got to be mm-hmm. certain things you do. Okay, this break, it's got to be set up with this feel. Or, you know, I know when I play this, it's going to inspire Beyonce to do this. Mm-hmm. Or I know Beyonce is going to do this, la, 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 la. And she might want me to catch that with her. Oh, you know, I like when you catch that with me. So now I got to do this every night, you know. Right. Um, and... With George Benson, it's a whole nother situation because there's a freedom. Uh, And of course, you have to set up certain breaks or certain riffs. But he also wants you to inspire him and other players in the band because, you know, there's there's improvising going on. Mm -hmm. So you have to you have to create a certain energy um, in that drum chair, you know. So, you know, I think that's the major difference. And playing between both of those gigs, you know. So, what about preparation when you're uh, maybe not preparation, but the preparation that was done the years leading up to that? Were you specifically going out and trying? Okay, let me. I gotta work on my jazz chops. Okay, I gotta work on this. I gotta work on that. Or was it just a matter of putting yourself in situations where you're like, "Ooh, okay, maybe I don't swing as well as I should. I I better I better figure that out in the practice room." You know, uh, growing up in Chicago was really really uh, a blessing for me because there's so much music in Chicago. I mean, Mm -hmm. all of those different styles of music I've played on the road, I've learned playing right here in Chicago. Um, I came up, like I said, I grew up in church and then uh, I did marching band and jazz band in high school. So, you know, that, that was my jazz side. And then my band director in high school would turn me on to other band directors and, and people she knew around town that were doing like plays and uh, doing big band stuff and doing private corporate gigs, you know, that would be doing anything from the Rolling Stones uh, to playing Jesse's girl or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So playing in Chicago really prepared me to play on the road. I mean, it was, um, I could be playing a small jazz club Monday, Tuesday night, and then go and play a rock club on Wednesday night and Mm -hmm. go and play a a small dance set on Thursday night, you know, that's playing all top 40 or R&B tunes. So, and of course I was playing at church every Sunday. So it was like, I just had this huge gumbo of music going on in Chicago, you know? Mm -hmm. This might be a hard question to answer because you didn't grow up this way, but how, how would you suggest that someone now starts to build not only a career, but build those different types of gigs? Because one, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's different than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
can you speak to that at all or what you what you've seen that is working with maybe younger drummers or younger musicians that you see coming up now well you know what i what i do now uh which might be helpful to uh, younger cats um if you do get the chance to play with somebody see what they're listening to or ask them to turn you on to 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 some different type of music you know like i play with jeffrey osborne and Jeffrey used to play drums. So I'm like, hey, man, you know, who do you listen to nowadays or whatever? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he might throw out uh, Steve Ferroni or Steve Gadd, you know. I'm like, wow, well, what are you listening to? And he might throw out a few songs that he's listening to by those guys. And then with George Benson, I'll ask him what he's listening to, you know. And he really loves, still to this day, he really loves Harvey Mason. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he'll you know, suggest a few Harvey Mason tunes or whatever. And um, Did I Harvey think it, play with him back in the day? He did play with him um, for a little while live, but he did a lot of those recordings with uh, George okay. Benson back in the day. I asked because there's a video on YouTube, and I can't, I don't know who the drummer is, and I've like put it out on Instagram and all that stuff, can't figure out who it is. And there's one particular, uh, there's one particular video that I remember that, the bass player, the bass player is actually playing tambourine with his feet. He's like Stanley Banks. Yeah, That's Stanley Banks. Yeah. So who's <laughs> is that? So who's playing? I don't know if you know the video I'm talking about, but there's a drummer. I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's Harvey Mason. I don't know who it is. You know, it's um, a couple of New York guys that played with George in the early days. Um, I really feel bad. I can't remember this guy's last name, but his first name was Buddy. And um, Steve Ferrone has played with um, with George Benson, mm-hmm. and um, it's a lot of people went through that gig, man. Yeah, back in those days. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I can't. I just I can't figure out who. Like I look at him and I'm like, I have no idea. And he had like a. He kind of looked like a little like militant. He had like a like a sort of like a military jacket on and everything. I don't know. I'll send you the link. Maybe. You know, maybe you know who it is because I've yes. talked to a bunch of people and they're like, I don't know who it is. Send me the link and I can get Stanley Banks to look at it. Stanley would know who it is for sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because nice. Stanley's been with George for 43 years. Okay. Does he still play bass with or play tambourine with his feet? Yes. Yes. It's insane. Now he's playing tambourine and cowbell with his feet. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Natural evolution, man. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember watching that video. And I'm and I hear tambourine and I'm like, you look and vi- you know the video. It's kind of like panning, but it's only like waist up. And you're mm-hmm. like, who's who's playing tambourine? I'm like, I know it's not sampled. It's like 1979. You know right. what I mean? They didn't overdub it. Yeah, this is. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it like zooms out, and you see the and you see Stanley like just wiggling his leg back and forth. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, the bass player. <laughs> yeah, he's really he's like I call him the groove master, man, because he's all about groove and time, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that dude, man, it's amazing to play with him because he creates so much energy on stage, you know, with yeah. just all the dancing and the moving and the hip shaking. It's like you hear him playing, but you look over there, like, man, is this dude is that into it? I got to come <laughs> on with it, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I better do something over here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's played these songs for forty some years, and yeah. it still it still moves them, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. That's that's the groove. A hip yeah. is moving, a head is moving, a foot is tapping. You know. That's it. That's yep. it. So I I interrupted you about you were talking about um, you know asking asking um, Benson who he listens to, and you were saying that he he's really into. And then I cut Harvey you off. Mason. Yeah, he's into Harvey Mason. Oh, Harvey Mason. That's right. You did say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's that's what I try to do. You know, um, I just I try to get into other people's minds and see what they're listening to and check it out. You know, mm-hmm. and um, I think for a younger player, you know, um, if they have somebody, a mentor, or even if they have a, a a band director or something in high school, they can ask them. You know, who who do you listen to? Who do you think is hip, you know? Mm-hmm.
Hey, do yourself a favor and check out Promark's Select Balance Drumsticks. These sticks give players the ability to fine-tune their standard stick model to fit their playing style. Let me give you an example. If you play rock or country or metal, check out the forward balance. These are front-weighted and give you enhanced power and speed. If you are playing jazz or funk or gospel, then check out the rebound balance. These are rear-weighted and gives you more finesse and more agility. Plus, they're made by Promark, which you know you're going to get a quality product because they control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick. Plus, they're paired by pitch and by weight, so there's zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your stick bag. Do yourself a favor. Check them out by going to Promark.com. If you're looking for a top-of-the-line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations, and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled, and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. I get a lot of people who ask me about getting into different situations where they're like, you know, everyone in my circle plays rock or everyone in my circle plays this style of music and I'd really like to start playing with jazz guys or start playing with, you know, people who are playing funk or something, some other different style. Um, but I and I think it's hard. I mean, maybe, maybe in bigger, you know, maybe in Chicago and New York and L.A. and and all that kind of stuff, it might be easy. But in like, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it might be it might be a little difficult. You know, it might you be a little harder. No, no, no. It it might be a little harder, and it's kind of a little hard for me to relate to that because in high sure. school, my best friend, um, this guy by the name of Kirk Marshall, uh, we played on, in drumline together, and he totally turned me on to rock music. You know, mm-hmm. he was like, he was way into to Metallica, Lars Ulrich. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, I come, I came up in church. So we were just swapping cassettes. You know, he would give me, you know, here's one by Metallica. Check this out. And I would give him uh, Walter Hawkins with uh, Joel Smith playing drums on it. Uh-huh. You know, so for me, you know, I, I felt like. Um, it was a little easier to get into different styles of music because even at the church I played at, it was this guy named Leonard Stroud. Um, he played totally different from anybody I knew, but he was into Chick Corea and like Frank, Frank Zappa. Matter of fact, he gave me my first uh, Chick Corea cassette tape, you know, the mm-hmm. eye of the beholder, which, you know, of course had Dave Weckl on it. Yeah. So, you know, that was eye opening for me. But if I think if a younger guy from from Tuscaloosa or Huntsville, you know, can just try to open up a conversation with somebody else that's playing music, I'm sure he'll be able to stumble upon something different. You know, even mm-hmm. if it's just a, a YouTube clip or something that would it's like a gateway to opening up the ears to something different, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember. You know, Go ahead. I'm, I'm the kind of guy, you know. You might tell me, "Oh man, I like Brian Blade," and I'll just go in and type in Brian Blade on YouTube, and three hours later, you know, I'm listening to all the stuff he did with Wayne Shorter and mm-hmm. you know the Fellowship Band and stuff like that. You know, I just I kind of I try to let stuff lead me into places I would never go before. You know, right, right. Or you end up watching something, then you're like. I've never even heard of this drummer or this band or anything. And it's like some rare footage that you found. And you're like, this is amazing. I would have never found this if I didn't dig down to this rap, you know, down this rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I like that. You know, we were talking about the good and bad of the internet. The good thing is you can go down a rabbit hole. You can do some deep, deep studying of and understand, you know, a particular artist or a particular drummer or a particular style. I mean, that's definitely there i just think it takes a little bit of self-control to to not go you know not look at every single thing for three minutes and go on to the next thing yeah you gotta you gotta definitely have some discipline and put in some time on it you know um it's funny because when i first got the the george benson gig 
they gave me like 50 songs to learn. Mm-hmm. And that opened up a whole Pandora's box for me, you know, because it was, of course, songs I heard with, you know, Breezin' and on Broadway and stuff like that. Right. But there were other tunes on there that I had never heard before. And uh, so that made me go on the internet and start searching, you know, just for mm-hmm. different, even different live versions, just to see how the arrangements were back in the 70s or 80s, you know. Right. And uh, I was curious as even to how the drums were tuned or sounding back then, you know, and tried mm-hmm. to capture some of that stuff and try to bring it back to date, you know? Right. How yeah. do you learn how do you learn fifty new songs? What's the process behind that? Well, luckily I had uh, I had a month to learn all these songs before we started rehearsing. So I said, okay, um only way I'm gonna get these tunes if if I set some type of regiment for myself. So I picked 10 songs. I said, okay, I'm going to do these 10 songs for five days this week, give myself a break on the weekend, and then pick another 10 songs the next week. Mm-hmm. And so I did that for about a month. And then um, I didn't want to be on charts when I went to rehearsal. Right. So so did you I chart start- everything out or did they give you the charts? They, they had charts ready available for me, but I didn't even want to, to put myself in that that position, I wanted to mm-hmm. be able to make eye contact with George and the bass player as well. And um, at the time, David Garfield was the music director, and I okay. wanted to be able to have eyes on him as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I put myself on a ten song a day regiment, you know. Right. So if you're if you have a list of ten songs, I really I like I like understanding this process. I think it helps the listeners too. So if, mm-hmm. if you have a list of ten songs, are you playing song one, then two, three, four, all the way down to 10, starting back over, you playing song one 10 times, making notes every time you go through, then moving on to song two. How, how does that work? Well, for me, it was um, the first couple of days was playing song one um, three times, song two, three times in a row, song three, three times in a row. So that I did the first couple of days. And then like the third day, I'll say, okay, I've got a pretty good handle on these songs. Let me see if I can take them one through ten. So I did that day three and four. And day five, I was just like, okay, let me see if I can play one through ten and then just cut it off and be done with it. Right. And, you know, I also um, would put the songs on in the morning. I like to walk in the morning for 30, 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I would put those songs on as I was walking every day. Just trying to make it a part of my everyday regimen, you know? Yep. Yeah, you start to internalize them. And I mean, for me, I know that if I do that, if I'm listening to them when I'm at the gym or whatever else, all of a sudden you like, you know, the hits are coming or, yeah, or yeah, whatever yeah, else. Yeah. And then you sit down and you're like, oh, I, I didn't even realize I knew that part of the song or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. You're unconsciously learning these songs, you know? Uh-huh. Just making yep. them a part of your everyday life, man, you know? Yeah. So if you're if you're learning something that has tracks and pyrotechnics and all that kind of stuff, are you working most of that out in rehearsal? And you just know the form of the tune, you know how it goes, and then you get into get into production and start figuring all that out. Well, you, there's definitely um, time in production rehearsal to learn all of the the different hits and accents and stuff with the pyro and you know um, a lot of the bigger tours they have a few weeks of production rehearsal, but the Destiny's Child gig. I kind of had a heads up, though, because of uh, the bass player, Ethan Farmer. He gave me um, a show tape a few months ahead of time. It's like, just learn this show, and I promise you, you'll have the gig. This is this is the gig, you know. And uh, it was funny. When the time came up for me to audition, you know, I, uh, I flew out to L.A., and uh, I knew I had a couple of days of rehearsing for the audition. So I go in, I play a, a couple of tunes down, and the music director's, wow, let's play another tune. You know, that feels pretty good. And so then he started calling songs that he didn't have on the list for the audition. And he's like, oh, wow, you, you got this too. And so he's like, come back to rehearsal the next day. Then he's like, come back to rehearsal the next day. So now I'm like, but how would he expect you to know those? How would he expect you to know those tunes? Or would he just maybe hoping you could like fit, like, kind of 
figure your way out through it. I, I think he knew, you know, by the way I was feeling through these songs, like, I think this guy has a heads up on the show already. Got you. And, and so um, the third or fourth day into rehearsal, I was like, man, you know, what's up? Am, am I going to get the gig or whatever? You know, he's like, dude, you had the gig three days ago. You're like, we're rehearsing for tour now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. You're like, am I getting paid for this rehearsal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was already on the clock, man. It was crazy. <laughs> but it was funny because we did all that rehearsing and then Beyonce came in and she was like, we're going to change the whole show. I want a whole fresh show for this new tour. Oh, and really? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was like, it was good that I did my homework and learned this stuff, but it was like, okay, now you're in the door. Now we got to see who you really are because we're going to do a whole new show now. Right. Did you work with Beyonce too or just Destiny's Child? Um, I did a few shows with Beyonce. Okay. And then uh, she did a... Jay Leno at the time, and she mm -hmm. had Sheila E. put a this all girl band together. Oh, nice! And, um, she came back after that, and she was like, "Man, I really dug the vibe of just like all females on stage." She's like, "Would you find me a female drummer?" And I was like, "Wait, you want me to refine my replacement?" <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, but I'll pay you." So I was like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> <laughs> sure, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who plays with her now? Um, uh, I'm not sure who's playing with her now. I kind of lost track after uh, Kim Foster and Nikki Gillespie played with her. Yeah, I forget the girl's name. That's not. I mean, it's not important. But I was. Yeah, I I, lost her track name like popped that. in my head, and then it and then it just disappeared. Coincidentally, we just did a uh, uh, an interview with um, with Sheila E a couple weeks ago, and okay. man, she is just. Like the the things that she has done in her career are made. She was playing with George Duke when she was 16. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's nuts. It is crazy, man. And, yeah. you know, George was like, was a heavy cat. You know, I was just watching some, um, some old clips of him on YouTube the other night and, um, just listening to all the stuff he had infused in his music, you know, because mm -hmm. I didn't know he played with like Cannonball Adderley yeah. in his younger years. He played with Frank Zappa and he would. I didn't know that. Yeah. He used to play with Frank Zappa in his younger years as well. I did not know that. And he used to infuse that stuff in his, in his live show and his music, man. Yeah. He was, he was definitely, definitely a talent for sure. Definitely. Definitely. So so I have to ask, I would be remiss if I didn't. So who, who are you listening to now? Uh, nowadays, um, you know, I'm still listening to all the classic guys. Uh, you know, the Dave Weckles, Vinnie Caliutas, mm -hmm. Dennis Chambers, Harvey Mason, uh, Steve Gadd, of course. And then uh, the, the younger guys that I like, uh, Ronald Bruner Jr., mm -hmm. uh, Mike Mitchell. Um, Tavarius, Varl Johnson, um, mm -hmm. uh, Clemens Poindexter, um, Jermaine Poindexter, Josiah Maddox, Leonard Maddox, you know, it's, it's a, it's a whole host of guys, you know, from, mm -hmm. from young to old, you know, um, I, I try to, to listen to the, the older guys to make sure, you know, I, I keep my foundation right, but I try to listen to some younger guys as well, just to, to try to stay fresh and, yeah. And, 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 and relevant, you know, mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. yeah, There's a lot of people out there pushing a lot of boundaries right now. And it's, it's, it's inspiring to see it's a, it's intimidating. It makes me want to lock myself in a closet and either practice for the rest <laughs> of my life or just sell all my drums and never play again. But, but, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely inspiring, man. There are some, there are some heavy stuff happening right now. It is, it is, man. I can remember, uh, I um I think I was at North Sea Jazz Fest and um I saw that Corey Henry was playing mm -hmm. and uh my friend Sheree Reed was playing bass with him. So I said, well, I'm gonna go over and say hi and catch a couple of songs and, and then get out and go grab some dinner. And um, you know, two hours later, I'm just stuck in the groove, you know, <laughs> just listening to Ter um uh, Terron, is it Terion or Terion Lockett that's playing drums with Corey Henry now? I don't know. I think it's Tayron Lockett. That's his name. But okay. I was just stuck listening to his groove for like two hours, man. Just like, 
wow, this dude is phenomenal, you know? That's a good sign, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It it always amazes me that this is sort of a side topic, but it made me it made me think about it. Yesterday I interviewed uh it's a loose <laughs> it's a loose connection, but uh I always have people who are non maybe non drummers or even non musicians who are on the show. So it might be a music industry person or maybe something like that. And I've had a couple of athletes that are to come on, like professional athletes. I had uh, a guy who plays for the Cleveland Browns. And then um, yesterday I had a guy named Brett Myers who he was a starting pitcher for the Phillies uh, back okay. in 08. They won the World Series, all this stuff, right? Had a really successful career in Major League Baseball, and now he's a musician. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the differences between being an athlete versus being a musician. Where like if you can hit a ball 450 feet, you're on a team. Right. Right. If you can throw right. a ball 150 miles an, or, you know, 100 miles an hour and throw strikes, you're on a team. Doesn't like you will get you'll get picked up. But you can be the greatest drummer in the world and never get out of your basement or no one ever knows about you. And, you know, that's just the, the nature of the beast. And it's always inspiring to me that you can show up somewhere and you can see someone who just completely knocks you out. You know, oh yeah, and you're just blown away, and you're like, "How does everyone in the world not know about this dude or this woman?" Right. Or and it could be like, it could be anywhere. It could be on YouTube, or it could be at some random bar or some random place in anywhere, any pocket in the country or in the world. That to me is it's it's inspiring uh, as a musician, but on the other side, it's a little it's a little discouraging because you're like, you know. A couple chips need to fall the right way, but it's such Definitely. an amazing thing to me that there's yeah. that anywhere you I, uh, go, you can find this great stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had a friend um, contact me not so long ago. Um, she's like, "Man, I know this guy that plays saxophone. He's really an amazing saxophone player." And she's like, "You know, what do I tell him? Where should I send him?" And I'm just like wow, I really don't know, you know, because right. kind of the days of the open jam is, is kind of dead, you know, mm-hmm. and and even um, around Chicago with all the music that's going on, it's still, it's not that many clubs where you can just go and sit in, you know. Right. Yeah, because guys now, they've got their polished rehearsed shows and it's like, oh, you can't just come sit in on my set, you know. Right, right. Yes. So she called and was like, this dude can hit a free throw from anywhere. You'd be like, then go tell him to try out for the Bulls. Right, right. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's done. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I wish it was that easy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's that's good or bad, right? Because, but uh, I don't know. I like to look at the positive in things. I think that's inspiring that there's definitely, you know, there's people all over the world that are making amazing music and whether they're, you know, on the cover of every magazine selling millions of records, they're still creating, they're still putting that, that energy out there and yeah. people are still enjoying it and still people are still going to see it. And, and I don't know, man, I think that, I think that's an amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, cause you, you still have people like, um, like Stanley Clark. I, uh, I had to fill in a gig for his drummer in Chicago about a year ago because mm-hmm. he, uh, his drummer got snowed in into New York and, Stanley had to play at the city winery. And so a friend of mine hooked me up with him, but he had this violinist playing with him. And uh, I was like, man, how long have you been with Stanley? He's like, this is my first gig with Stanley. I met him on the internet and he asked me to come out here and play. And so the guy is still touring with Stanley Clark to this day. Wild. He met him on the internet. (laughs) That's wild, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean that I that's I had a conversation today like there's been like one of one of my uh my favorite bands that I kind of like that I grew up on was a band called Fish right mm-hmm. and uh John Fishman is the drummer and I was always like man I, you know I've been to like literally a hundred of their shows and I was like I would love to have this dude on my show but they're huge like they you know they sell out 13 nights in a row at Madison Square Garden you know like right. they're a big man I sent him a Facebook message and he was like yeah let's do it when do you want to do it <laughs> like why did I think about that three years ago but it's right. just that that is amazing to me though you know like, yeah the fact Stanley Clark hires a violinist off the internet yeah and the you guy's know, still like, touring with him to this day a year later he's still with him you know he's been all over the world man see uh, like that's how I feel 
like I don't want to hear anyone complaining that they can't get gigs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the power's well, out there. You just got to hustle for it. You got to hustle for it. You, you got to find that creative niche, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just got to you got to be creative and and whatever your approach is, it's got to be creative, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that 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 non-stop uh just hustle mode you know like not in a sleazy way but like constantly following up with people talking to people meeting people you know hiring people if you if you can start a band and hire other people i think most of the time the people who are not working are just sitting around complaining about not working not Mm -hmm. going out and being open to different opportunities and and trying to trying to uh you know inject some life into their own careers yeah, yeah, and, and you definitely you have to be um, a people person as well, you know, because, uh, you know, you you get out here on these tours and and you got to be a likable person. You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta be somebody that someone wants to hang with, you know. Right. Because yep. you're on stage, you know, what an hour, forty minutes tops, you know, every day. Mm-hmm. The rest yep. of the time, you know, you got twenty one, twenty two hours to spend with somebody, you know. Yeah. Yeah, what's one of the biggest? Yeah, what you are. Uh, (laughs) What What do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions of of life on the road, being a professional musician? Uh, You know, like because everyone's like, "I want to tour." Like, I just want to get. I want to like. I want to be a touring drummer. What do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions? I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that. This life is also glamorous, you know, like, yeah. oh, my God, it's, it's always bright lights, big cities, you know, mm-hmm. and um, there's a lot of things unseen, you know, the, the delayed flights or the crazy travel, you know, the 14 hour bus rides or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they don't see that that side. You get into a town after an eight hour flight and your hotel room's not ready. You, you're just sitting in the lobby with your feet propped up on your, your luggage, you know? Right. Yeah. Waiting on, waiting on your room to get ready, you know, (laughs) (laughs) or getting in it, you know, getting in it, uh, whatever, eight o'clock in the morning and you have, you have lobby call at noon for sound check or something. Yeah. 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 Or you're supposed to get in at eight o'clock and you get in (laughs) at 11, 15, and you got enough time to go throw your luggage in your room and go to sound check, you know. Right. Yeah, right. but maybe you can get a sandwich on the way, you know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Catering's probably uh late though, showing up too. So. Maybe. Or the caterer's <laughs> not good. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's true. So speaking of uh on the road, where can we where can we catch you out on the road? Um, I'll be um Touring with George Benson again this summer. Um, we start um, actually we start back up in California next weekend. Uh, we're doing San Diego and uh, Newport Beach Jazz Fest. Nice. And then uh, we go. Um, is it Saratoga Springs, New York? Mm-hmm. Saratoga Springs and uh, Niagara Falls, and then we do. Um, Canada, and then we go to Europe from there. So I'll be in Europe awesome. all of July. Awesome. Yeah. Maybe I'll see. I'm going to look at the schedule and dates and all that kind of stuff. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to come to Newport. Newport okay. Fest. Yeah, and actually Newport is. Uh, I got I got lucky because Jeffrey's opening up for George. Jeffrey Osborne's opening mm-hmm. up for George. So I'm going to do both shows that day. Nice. Uh, June second. Yeah. Two for one. Yeah, so I, I was laughing, talking with Jeffrey. I said, you know, I, I got to play with George Benson on this show. Do you mind if I do both shows? And Jeffrey's like, oh, um, who's opening up? And I'm like, you're opening up. And he laughs. He's like, oh, sh- have at it because I get the fresh Kahari. You go on with me first. So <laughs> <laughs> George will get you second after I right. use you all up. <laughs> He's going to give you five drum solos. Exactly. <laughs> so do you, do you teach as well? You know what? I used to teach and I had to stop because of my touring schedule. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I miss it, but I felt like I was hurting my students more than I was helping them. 
Interesting. Uh, just because I was so inconsistent with the lessons, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I think that there definitely needs to be um, a level of consistency there. Um, if you're going to have students, you got to see you got to see the progress and you got to progress with them, you know. Yeah. 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 And I, th- I think that's a I think staying or, you know, doing it when it works for you almost becomes a selfish thing on your part. Right. Where you're like. Well, I make money when I come home and then I'm gone for a little while and you're on your own and you can do whatever you want. And then when I come home, so I applaud you for, for, you know, I think most, not most people, but I think a lot of people would just be like, wouldn't think of it that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought about it that way because I can remember taking lessons when I was younger and, and, you know, having that teacher to check up on me every week definitely helped my progress and helped me you know, wanting to do better every week, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was funny. Cause I can remember even in the earlier days, the guy, you know, teaching me paradiddles or double stroke rolls. And I didn't practice from one week to another, like I should. And I can remember trying to fool this cat. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, now looking back, I'm like, he heard it immediately that I didn't practice. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yep. I've been there, done that for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> You're like, he'll, they'll never know. Yeah, right. No, he'll never know that I'm scuffling over this paradiddle. I, <laughs> I scuffled a whole uh, whole piece in college. And after I was done, the professor was like, I like how you uh, you improvise three quarters <laughs> of the thing. And I'm like, how does he even know? Because he didn't have the music. And I look up at the top right and he arranged it. Oh, wow. I was like, <laughs> busted. Right. Yeah, done. Yeah. Dead in the water. So, <laughs> Well, Kahari, I want to uh, thank you for, for taking the time to chat, man. It was nice to – it's funny how things come full circle, you know, like uh, running into you in the piano bar how many years ago and being able to sit down and, and have a conversation and have you share your knowledge with, with not only the, the people who are coming up in this industry but the people who have been in it for a while I think is extremely valuable. So I appreciate you for that. And uh, – Safe travels out there on the road, and hopefully I'll get to see you soon. Thank you, man. And I definitely want to give a big thank you out to you as well, man, for even having this platform for people to, to listen and, and get information, man. I applaud you, brother. Thank you well, so much. Thank you. Man. It would not be possible without people like you taking the time to chat. So Awesome, man. You. My pleasure, brother. Thanks, man. Safe travels, and I will talk to you soon, my man. All right, Nick, man. All the all best right. to you, baby. Thanks, brother. You too. Peace.
There you have it, the one and only Kahari Parker. Hope you dug that. Hope you dug the sound clip as well. I'm going to start putting more of those into the, the, the episodes because I think they're, one, I think they're cool, and two, I think it, it gives an accurate uh, way to you know hear the drummers that, that I'm talking to every week. So if you dig that, let me know. Or even if you don't dig it, I'm going to put them in there anyway, and you can skip over the, uh, the sound bites if you don't. And don't forget to make sure you're either signed up for the mailing list or following Drummer's Resource on the socials because we're doing a huge giveaway for the 500th episode coming up here soon we're at 491 so it's right around the corner thank you to you for being a listener to helping us get to the 500th episode and we're going to keep going and until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening and i will be talking to you soon peace